Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Niel Pistorius, who's the CEO of DRD Gold, listed on the JSE. They're tailings uh, processor. They are producing gold in South Africa, and a lot of it, up six times. One of our best recommendations of last year. You can hear our thoughts uh, on the company, Aniel. Uh, if you go to cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, you can also get company reports, uh, summaries of other interviews that we've done, training modules, uh, commentary from market experts from all around the world, and of course, a thriving community of like-minded investors. And if you go now, there's a trial period for seven days. Enjoy the podcast. Niel, how are you doing, sir? Hi, good day. I'm doing really well, thanks. And yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, I spoke to you back in December. Uh, different world, different company, actually. So uh, we've got lots to catch up on for sure. How have you been? How is South Africa? Oh, I think South Africa is just doing a bit of a damage assessment. Uh, our economy is obviously come under enormous pressure because of the, uh, the lockdown, uh, tourism in particular. Uh, but we're slowly but surely emerging. Uh, I think the impacts of COVID on, on, uh, on the health of society generally has not been as profound. Um, and, and there are a number of different theories for that. But uh, I think South Africans are generally they're picking themselves up and trying to go back to, to some sort of a, a new sense of formality. Yeah, because I mean, you guys have um, taken a little bit of money, or had to. The country has had to take a little bit of money in from outside, from the um, World Bank, etc., um, to kind of cope. But you, you, just, you seem to be saying, <coughs> health-wise, there's no new secondary spikes, or no, no, it's not affecting your ability to do business. We're in level one lockdown, which means that uh, yeah, a lot of the former restrictions have been relaxed. So. There's still restrictions on the number of people who can assemble, et cetera, et cetera. But in, in terms of tourism, which which is big in South Africa, hospitality, the restaurant uh, industry and so forth, uh, those are slowly but surely re-emerging. Uh, there's still a number of restrictions on, uh, I'm, I'm happy to be in the Winelands at the moment, and still restrictions on, on the sale of liquor over weekends, et cetera, which uh, um, still impact this kind of economy quite significantly. But, uh, but but on the whole, I think this light at the end of the tunnel and, and we slowly but surely uh, getting back to into business. Uh, the impact's been huge. Though. I mean, it's going to be years for this pound. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's always good to kind of sort of understand how different countries are reacting and, and um, behaving. Um, hopefully you guys get back into some semblance of normality soon. But um, look, for people new to this story, we, we, we spoke in December, great run through of your business model, but there's, we've got a bunch of new people on here. So can you give us a one minute overview of the business and I'll pick it up from there. Yes, sir. so DOD Gold has been around for, uh, as long as the gold industry has been around South Africa. It started out in the 1890s as a deep level underground mine, but it's still involved completely into surface reclamation. So we recycle gold tailings in and around the Johannesburg area and now more recently also uh, in the, the more westerly part of uh, gold production South Africa in the Coltonville area around the Cliff and Trifontaine. Um, our company is earned 50.1% by Sabanya Stillwater following a transaction to acquire some additional assets and then for the rest it's held, really held, uh, in, through a listing in Johannesburg and also uh, in, on the New York Stock Exchange. Okay, fantastic. Um, 
Like I said to people, you know, people should go and we'll put a link below to the conversation we had in December because I think the, the business plan is really solid. You were very clear and articulate about how you're going to go about delivering that. So today I just want to focus on, you know, what have you done since we last spoke? Now, obviously COVID's come, but for gold companies, that's been great. Gold price has been great. Your numbers look great. Um, but I want to talk about the future and what the future holds. So you had a couple of projects, you got Ergo and then you got Far West. Um, can we deal with Ergo and where you're at with that? Because uh, when we last spoke, um, you know, the, you, you've had that for a while. You need to work out how you sort of extend that and how much CapEx is going to require to be able to extend that. So you can, can give us an update on where, where you are with that project. Okay, is the mothership of the, uh, the organization that's made up of two plants. The one is a lower body and higher grade plant. And then the other one is a much larger, closer to a ton of a lower grade plant. Uh, it produces material or it recycles material from uh, Right about seven sites, give or take. Um, so this is slimes and then sand that, that gets uh, pumped to the different plants. There it gets recycled and then deposited onto a large tailings deposition facility. That deposition facility is, uh, is to be increased in size in order to extend the, the life of Virgo and for it to maintain its current production run rate uh, over time. So it's, it's an ultra high volume uh, setup with and then extraction efficiency. We recover about 200 parts per billion uh, of the material that, that gets put through this pond. Far West Operations, uh, that's the one that we acquired from Sabanya Stillwater or brought us into the Sabanya Stillwater group. Um, much lower volume, about 500,000 tons a month. That's the first phase. Over the next three years, that's going to be upscaled to also north of a, of a million tons a month. That requires an additional tailings deposition facility. Um, and uh, then it too will have a life of roughly 18, potentially uh, 23 years. Tailings facility that we're building there is large enough for, for a, a regional consolidation of tailings. Uh, and, and that's really for the next generation of, of management to at least have something that was built in such a way that it can play a similar, similar role to what we saw in Ergo, where it is big enough for a consolidation beyond the, the, the current resource uh, or what the resources were 10 years ago when the business was, was started. Okay, not everyone understands tailings. Um, they understand mining, but tailings is something which you know makes, makes them nervous. They don't quite understand, so therefore they don't invest. Um, you're about six times larger than when we last spoke, so obviously something's gone right. It's worth just um, explaining to people. I mean, I would say tailings is mining without the risk because everything's at surface. So it's a process-driven um, uh, organization that, that you know can monetize stuff or sitting at surface. So can you just sort of explain a little bit more detail about how your process works? I know you touched upon it there, but perhaps give us a bit more of a clue about what's unique about you. Certainly. So we, I don't think anybody else moves more tons per uh, employee than, than what we do. So what the, the features, the, the things that differentiate, differentiate our, our business um, in, the, in the mining uh, environment are uh, mechanization, um, technology, automation. Um, the, the setup of this plant being a, a, a macro volume environment with almost nano extraction efficiency uh, requirements 
mean that we we need to set up this thing in such a way that um, it, it needs very little intervention, human intervention. So our, our focus or our, our, our approach in terms of technology is that the human element is still the, the, uh, the dominant part of this human and machine interface. So we, we place smart technology at the disposal of smart individuals. So, so that, that's the whole model, but it's uh, extensively automated. Um, it's technology driven. Uh, we collect data from 40,000 different data collection points of the ergo plant. Uh, and and, and these, this, this information is analyzed on an ongoing basis. So you could literally follow every key dynamic that can impact the, the uh, efficiency of this plant on a 24 7 basis. And that gets analyzed on, on a daily basis. So, uh, so, so that's the sort of thing that, that enables one to, um, to maintain production even when, when you have these uh, interruptions or disruptions associated with, with a pandemic. Um, because it's not a uh, it, it's not a, a labor-intensive environment. Social distancing is sort of you know uh, this is our reality. People do not work in close proximity to one another. Um, and a lot of the stuff that happens is done with uh, remote-controlled uh, automated devices, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but that's helped us a lot, um, and, and and that's one of the reasons why COVID for us has been. It hasn't been quite been that disruptive. Um, we did interrupt operations for about a 10-day period when, when the lockdown started here in South Africa. But that was really just to to make absolutely sure that that the, 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 that the changes in behavior that were required to enforce um, proper social distancing and to ensure that you know, everybody's been adequately counseled in terms of uh, uh, using sanitizer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that those were fully entrenched, and also to to not have to use public transport. We consider that to be a major risk for employees to to have to get into public transport to come to work and go back again. So, so we we the, the commutes evolved, and, and that's now all done with public transport, uh, with the private transportation, with company provided transportation. Um, so, so we had about a ten day disruption, and, and then we incrementally started going back into the workplace and you know some of the sites we were up and running uh, very quickly others we had to take a slightly more systematic approach um, if you were to look at our numbers though when we released those a few weeks ago you can see that the reduction in in, in tonnage and in production that crop which obviously is lopsided towards the negative uh, was offset and uh, positively offset in fact by increases in, in gold price as a consequence of global reaction to uh, to the lockdown and to COVID. So it was, uh, in terms of financial performance, it was uh, an incredible period for us. We, we, we've seen margins we've never seen before. And with a business that, that sort of geared for, for this sort of environment that um, that was able to, to overcome most of the challenges associated with it. And, and we, we're very proud of, of, of how our personnel responded to the whole pandemic um, and out of just more than 3,000 employees, we've had fewer than 30 patients, uh, positive diagnosis, um, and, and nobody's passed away as a consequence of that at the moment. Now with, with the lockdown level way down to lockdown level one, we only have two positive cases that haven't uh, fully recovered. So uh, I think key to the whole thing was the, 
uh, the response of, of our personnel to uh, what was required. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, COVID had an impact on lots of um, companies, lots of producers around the world, and you know they've all handled it in different ways uh, as much as they can. The stuff you're in control of, and the stuff that you're not in control of. Um, I'm interested in the bits that you are in control of. Um, as you say, your, your production, you're only offline for ten days, and maybe there was a slight slow ramp up. But you know, as you say, your the volume yields and production numbers are down for second half, but because of the price of gold. You've you know ended year you know all, you know sort of it's all time high numbers I I guess there uh, in the sense of the margins that you're making certainly the numbers that we're looking at so it's all good news for shareholders you've just out your third uh, dividend for the thirteenth year in a row um, and you, I think you upscaled it as well so that's all good news but you talked about having you know multiple data points and removing human intervention you know where where you can uh, to improve efficiencies. Um, but if I look at Ergo, you've had that for 10 years, right? You possibly, you told me before, you've probably got another eight years worth there and more if you decide to choose to spend more money on, on the CapEx. You kind of have to re-engineer that to some degree because it would be lower grade. So um, what is that data telling you now? Has anything changed in the last year since we spoke? Not really, no. Um, the, the, the data collection or the, the, man, the way in which we manage information it's not so much uh, improve the efficiency as it's allowing us or enabling us to keep the plant in stable state. So you, you have fewer disruptions, fewer, um, fewer changes or fluctuations in performance, in, in plant performance. So, um, the, look, obviously, because the, the, the way that information has been looked at, uh, you don't really have a a reporting sort of climate, the, the conversations taking place at our operations are analytical because you're not you're not looking for are we within range? You know you're in range because that information is freely available to everybody. What what the conversation typically looks like is so uh, so what are these numbers telling us? And how can we get it slightly narrower? How can we make this range even tighter? And and, and what is the um, what is the impact let's say of of this dynamic? Uh, have we fully considered the impact of this dynamic and some of the other dynamics? In fact, the next step for us now is to go into, into uh, big data analysis. What we're doing at the moment is we're maintaining the relationship and the interaction, the interface between line of sight dynamics, seven or eight dynamics within the plant itself. But big data could tell us how something that's happened in one of the remote corners of the operation, how that is finding its way and amplifying certain responses over a period of a month, two, three, four months. And then we think that that's going to be an exciting new step for us and just analyzing the the, uh, the data and, and setting the plants up accordingly. If you multiply everything by two million in the tiniest of changes, it could have a, a very significant impact on the actual performance of the business. But you know, having said that, the, those changes are small, they're incremental, uh, and they're informed by analytical conversations as opposed to your typical command and, and port type conversation that you would have in a, in a mining environment. The way forward for us, uh, because I think because of the quality of the data, gives us a pretty good idea of, of what sort of balance needs to maintain in terms of, of uh, throughput rate, in other words, the, the time spent in the plant and, and the volume throughput. Uh, it gives us a very good idea as to 
uh, how we should balance the availability of water and uh, uh, where, the, where the key risks are in terms of cost. A, a big step for us over the next foreseeable future, um, and we're talking now, is, is, is dealing with the, the risk of quality of, of electricity supply and also cost uncertainty around electricity supply. Um, obviously, you know, if, if our if the electricity supplier were to fold in South Africa, then it takes the entire economy with it. So that, that is a, a very real risk to the ESCOM and South Africa, South African economy and our existence, those things are, are, are linked. But that doesn't mean that you cannot do something about the immediate risks posed by the quality of electricity supply and the costs associated with that. So, so we're taking the view of uh, or the approach of setting up a, a hybrid type arrangement where there's both power storage as well as power generation uh, by way of solar panels. Power storage simply means that you're setting up very significant, um, uh, and then these are modular in design, uh, battery storage capacity. These then get, get charged during off-peak periods and also by the sun eventually where the solar farms in place. And what that thing does is on the one hand, it acts as a, a shield against um, your uh, your peak power tariffs. So if you charge them during off-peak and you, you draw from those batteries during peak, then it means that you avoid by and large the high tariff of, of peak uh, of a peak period of the day. And those are significantly higher tariffs. So you basically justify the entire project, the, the CapEx on, on that basis. But then it also it smooths the delivery of power. Uh, if you have as instrumented, so to speak, as we are, uh, these are sensitive devices. The, 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 the spikes and, and the surges and the drops in power supply, was the quality of power delivery. These things are bad for your instrumentation. So if it goes through this bank of batteries first, then it means that you have smooth delivery. It also acts as a, as a power backup if there's a sudden drop in power. Our arrangement with the power utility is that we don't get load shedding. Uh, so, so when load shedding happens, we just need to reduce the amount of power that we use by 10% or 15 or 20%. And we can do that by just switching certain components on and off. But uh, sometimes there's still the accidental either switching off or there's just a power interruption. So, so the power bank would, would uh, shield us against that as well. So, so that's the near-term uh, approach uh, in terms of, of, of power delivery. And um, because of the quality of the information, we know what the impact's going to be. We know how long we need to be around in order to justify this. Um, we can present value it and, and know whether it's, it's worth our while, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I think systematically um, that this is the way that, uh, that that we can look at every aspect of the business. Uh, we, we break down the economics of our throughput, notwithstanding the fact that it's in excess of two million tons a month. We break it down to uh, on, a, on a per ton basis, the extraction per ton, the cost per ton, the revenue per ton, everything we do is looked at in that way. And of course, and if you look at the numbers over the last year or so, and a kilo was the average for the year up until June, and we report record numbers. That gold price is now sort of stuck just north of a million rand per kilo, uh, whilst the costs are still hovering around a uh, hundred rand. You know, there aren't these, uh, there haven't been any significant impacts on, on cost because such a large percentage of our costs are fixed in any event. Um, 
So you do the numbers and, and you see how on a per ton basis, these margins have opened up and, and stayed open uh, as a consequence of what's been happening in the cold price environment, but also relative to, to, to our, our ability to respond to the, uh, to the impact. No, of I pre- appreciate that. I mean, like the, the question was, was specifically about Ergo because the things with tailings are they're at surface. There's a finite amount at surface. There's no kind of, you know, um, upside in terms of what you may discover on the ground. You know what's sitting there. You know how long it will take to work your way through that. And with Ergo, you know, the the grade lowering, you're going to put, need to put more ore through, and therefore it's going to be more expensive for you. So I appreciate you talking about looking at things like the, the cost of energy, which is a big problem in South Africa. Costs have been rising for several years now. Uh, and the, the relationship with ESCOM and several companies are, is, is, is well documented. But at some point you said, this has got a longer life than the eight years you indicated to me before, if you spent enough money on it, right? And you know, I know that's an ongoing process of evaluation. Um, is that something that you have got an answer for now? Yes, so what we, what we are doing, obviously, is expanding the size of, of, of our tailings tank. We need to make sure that we have sufficient capacity in tailings deposition, um, on our tailings deposition dam to, to, to continue to, to, to uh, treat material at the rate that we need to treat at uh, in order to maintain production run rate. So a few years into the future compared to what we, where we are now, um, so in, in order to maintain throughput rate, in order to, to make sure that you have the right sort of mix, the right combination of material to, to maintain a uh, sustainable head grade, uh, there's an ongoing process of opening up new recovery sites um, uh, and, and systematically closing down those that, that are finished. And, and you go through different cycles. You, uh, you know, not, not all trading stamps are of equal size. Uh, and also through different phases of complexity. And uh, the more sites you have, the more complicated or more complex your uh, your model is, uh, and, and the higher your costs. So at the moment, for example, we, we're treating material from around seven sites. Um, we, we have access to seven sites where we recovering material from. And, and that's probably as complicated as it's going to get as complicated, uh, complex rather as it's going to get. Over the next few years, the, the number of sites we will be covering material from, um, in accordance uh, with the uh, with the mine plan, the near future mine plan, will reduce. So, so instead of mining from seven sites, we'll be mining from let's say four sites. Um, they will be higher in volume, but slightly lower in grade, and, and that's where the offset comes in. So. Less complexity, fewer sites, which means your per ton costs drop. Uh, but then, obviously, because the, the grades are slightly lower, your, your revenue per ton would, would also adjust. And, and on the whole, you know, that, that pretty much gives you your, I wouldn't call it a flat line, but, but that's, your, that, that's how you maintain sustainability, is, is, is through the, the combination. Of, of material, the, the mix of material and the, the development of, of different sites to, to, uh, to not have as, as, as many moving parts, so to speak. So three years from now, we'll have fewer moving parts, uh, slightly lower recovery per ton, but fewer moving parts, which also imply lower cost per, per ton. Okay, no, which, which, I, which I understand. So that, that, that's you, as you say, when you're putting through 2.5 million tons per annum, 
each ton is really important. If you, you're just shaving costs or saving costs or reducing the amount that it's going to cost you going forward, it's all important. It's the, it's, it's the nuanced detail of the, the engineering and the flow sheets and so forth. I get that. The other big part of this is building up a forward um, pipeline of deals, projects, and ores that you can process. Now, Sabanye is a 50% shareholder. They're obviously delighted with that relationship, um, given what you've done this year. Um, they've also sitting on a lot of other projects that you can do. You've, we, we talked previously about Far West. Um, how are things going there? How The numbers seem to be good, but uh, anything we should be aware of? Yes, no, absolutely. Uh, so, so as I say, I mean, GoGo's uh, uh, project pipeline is, is pretty much uh, paved out uh, and the new sites that are going to be developed. At, at the Far West operation, um, I mean, we started out with phase one only. Uh, initially, in order to get into production sooner rather than later, but 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 phase one is, um, uh, it's it's sustainable on, in, in its own right. But you couldn't really go beyond twelve years of production, mining only off our existing infrastructure. So so we came to get into the second phase, which is the upgrading of volume throughput to just north of, of a million tons, and that also implies. A, a larger tailing step position facility. And, and, and that was part of what we then envisaged when we did the transaction. Uh, early phase, lower volume, higher grade production in the longer term, you know, to get it to 18 to 23 years, the, the second phase with a bigger plant and bigger deposition facility. Um, provided obviously that, that the investment climate remains positive. I think the, you know, what the, the, the part that I find exciting about the Subanya relationship or are those bits which uh, are probably, you know, that, that weren't part of the, 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 the short-term planning, the immediate planning when we did the transaction, but which are now emerging as this relationship is developing. Um, there, there's still a lot of assets within the Sabanya portfolio that, that are not core assets in terms of uh, the Sabanya strategy. Their, their strategy in terms of mining, obviously, is more focused on emerging ground, level underground, in terms of uh, the gold mines in America. Um, nobody buys a Spanish silver to share because they have hundreds of millions of tons of tailings material. And I think increasingly we could identify some of those and, and bring about a, a larger scale consolidation of, of surface tailings and, and to those. Also, uh, and, and this is something that uh, I think is definitely going to start picking up a bit of momentum, is venturing into other metals. They are one of the largest platinum producers in the world. And, and this is certainly uh, something that, that at this point remains untapped, as how assets that, uh, uh, which are there, which are perfectly, perfectly uh, suitable for, for surface processing, um, it's, it's not given the sort of recognition that you know, putting it in a bespoke brand that is associated with the recycling of tailings, environmental cleanup, the, the kind of market premium that, that is attributed to, to that. Um, and, and that is definitely a conversation that, uh, that we would want to accelerate now that we have a little bit more freedom of movement. Okay. So, okay. so for people who don't know, Savania is a huge organization. I say lots of tailings at, at surface, not just gold, we've got the um, you know, platinum group metals as well. Um, 
But how does it work? They're 50% shareholder in you, but each deal's different, okay? So they're not going to stick with the same deal that you, you just own on Far West. They're going to look at the market. They're going to look at how much money you're making and, and structure a new type of deal, aren't they? Well, remember the, uh, because they're an interested party, because they have a large stake in well, every transaction comes with a very significant scrutiny. It has to be independently verified, et cetera, et cetera. So Sabanya is being mindful of, of how important good governance is in maintaining the credibility of the structure. So uh, the rules uh, um, uh, of governance are very, very closely followed um, because their stake in DRV Gold is worth what the other investors say it's worth. They don't trade their shares. It's the rest of the market that, that trades their shares. And, and if the market gets the sense that there is undue interference or uh, uh, sort of funny business, that that's going to find its way into the valuation of the stock. So um, yeah, the, the transactions are looked at obviously with, with due regard to what potential value they may have, but there is very significant independent scrutiny of everything that, that we want to do. Um, in terms of, of platinum, I, I do believe that the that environment's different compared to to gold. Uh, so gold, you produce, you take the exposure to the gold price, you sell it at spot, it goes through metals exchange, you know, bullion banks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not a very, it's not a particularly uh, complex trading environment. Platinum and the BGM metals, I think, are you know, that, that's a completely different scenario. They you have direct relations with your with your clients, there are off-take agreements. Uh, there's chrome, there's rhodium, there's palladium. There's there are different uh, users, consumers, uh, and buyers of, of these metals, which uh, which is which is far more complicated. It's not something that, that we have a lot of uh, experience with. So I think the in, in looking at these transactions, uh, one would take a, a very close look at exactly what it is that we will do in the value chain. Uh, what is it that we will produce? Is it going to be a concentrate? Is it going to be a final product? Um, are we going to be selling to supply the store water? Or are we going to sell it, be selling to the to the end client, et cetera, et cetera? And, and along those lines, I think we will be able to to model these uh, these transactions, and and they're capable of being modelled. Uh, it means that you probably not see the same kind of potential uh, multiple that that we saw with. Always gold transaction because of those carrying a minus 600 million rand negative value in terms of rehabilitation, closure costs, etc., etc., wasn't within the context of a structured existing uh, 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 series of relationships or, or system of, of, of trading. Um, whereas the platinum is completely different. I think there are existing arrangements, existing clients, etc., etc., and and somehow we need to find a way of fitting into this, this larger process to add additional value to an existing platform, so to speak. And and it's going to be easier to model, I believe. Um, I think it'll be quite simple to to scrutinise those for, for, for from a, a governance perspective, but um, maybe not not quite as as powerful a multiple or dynamic a multiple in, in terms of the market cap. Um, that, that, that's sort of you know my, my early take on it. The market might take a completely different view. They might say, hey, hang on a second. This is now a multiple commodity diversification of risk. 
different economic cycles. Um, this is actually really starting to pick up a bit of momentum. So maybe there's a maybe there's a what's called a, a growth dividend. I believe that, that that's also an accepted term in investment. Uh, it is. It's what we live for. Yeah. It's what we live for. Yeah. Um, let me try and understand the relationship because fifty percent shareholder who are who are not trading your shares, they're sitting on paper, not doing anything with it. I mean, treat us say how they see themselves making money is then they're not living for the dividend that's clearly you know that's not that's not going to uh, change um, their balance sheet um, but the relationship at the beginning they were more important to you than you were to them right but with the market changing and you know the success of what you've been doing because of your your, pro, your process driven uh, num- you know ability to deliver good returns um, they're looking at this going well, they know what they know what they're doing, so we, we we like them from that perspective. But they can have conversations with your competitors about any of these assets going forward. So, as much as you want to kind of capture their the all of their ore at surface in South Africa, in Joburg and, and elsewhere, um, how do you ensure that you can secure that line of uh, you know, forward-looking revenue from them. What are you going to say to them to say, look, we're, we're obviously the best partner for you? The first phase of, of Far West was, was very important for exactly that reason. Because the point you make is 100% correct. They're not obliged to give us anything. Banya can go and do a transaction with whomever they please. And we're not the only kid on the block. There are other players as well. Um, so to, to make to uh, deliver into the expectations that we had created around the always gold uh, project credibility. We wanted to establish project credibility, ability to deliver into the expectations that we created. Um, in, in terms of the, 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 the greater value composite, I do believe that if you look at the Spania website and how they present themselves. The, the key value is how mining improves lives. If you look at the, the, the social investment mantra that we developed over time, is, is uh, we want to enhance the quality of life of those who live in proximity of our operations. So, so, so there was alignment even before there was a relationship. And, and I think that um, alignment of values. And I think and I see in, in how Subanya presents the Audi Gold as part of, of its greater uh, group. There's a lot of focus on the ESG aspect of, of our operations. The fact that rehabilitation through mining is such an important part of our brand identity. Uh, th- th- there's, a, there's a consistency there in value, values which, which they present. So um, I'm not, I, I don't quite know how Sabanya sees us in terms of how important the economic success of the company is as, 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 a, as a main sort of priority for them. What I do know is that the, the things that we do in terms of sustainability and environmental cleanup and finding uh, solutions for, for the social impacts of mining and in mining in such a way that it's increasingly energy friendly uh, whilst also uh, being water wise, um, making sure that the impact of mining our operations that those are contained the environmental impact and that they don't impact on surrounding communities etc etc those those are incredibly important values within the the sabanya group sabanya stalwater group and 
But I think the fact that there is now a, a company, a group member, that, that has as, as, as core to its strategy that it lives those values uh, and, and that those values are as important as the commercial success of the business. The commercial success is more of a, a consequence of the very deliberate pursuit of, of many of those value components. Um, I think that that is an important feature of, of that relationship. Okay, but I think but I think most tailings companies would say remediation uh, is, is part of what they do, and you know if it remediates the land that it can be used for other uses, it's all good. And they, they, the ESG component is, is is very strong. So I'm not. I'm what I'm trying to work out is you know is that unique to you, or is that uh, is that something that you have the conversations happened already, which say look, you know, you're the one for us moving forward, or or those those deals still to be negotiated. I'm not sure if, if there's anybody else who's had this as, as core to their strategic thinking. Um, we need to go back into our experience over the last decade for that matter. Sustainable development as a core feature of our strategic thinking of how it informed the deployment of, of uh, resources and capital. I do not know if there's been that consistency in, in approach and strategy. Uh, it, it is embedded in the DNA of our company. It's not to say that you know we have it 100% down, uh, and, and that there aren't <coughs> issues that still need to be built. We're sitting on a, a footprint that is 100 years old. Uh, it's it's going to take time, but I think it's you, you can't fake your way through sustainable development. At the moment, you start treating it as though it's marketing and, and not a core value, not a genuine pursuit. Sorry, you're going to be caught out. Yeah. It's hard enough as it is. I know the hearts and the minds of my colleagues. I know how important those things are. And we still come under criticism. We still blame for doing this, that, and the following. So if, if, it's, if it's superficial, if it's artificial, I'm, I'm sorry, you're not going to get anywhere. And, and hopefully, Sabanya, I think Sabanya may have spotted that there is a, that there's integrity in, in that mantra, that there's integrity in that strategy, that there's a genuine pursuit of those values. And um, I think it resonates with them. I think they, they believe those things and, and they want to be invested in the company that, that it's set okay. course okay. on achieving those outcomes. So coming back to Sabanyi, so they're 50% shareholder at the moment. Do you think there's an argument which says, look, could you, because I'm looking at your ESG component here. There's a lot of new ESG funds opening up in London, uh, New York, everywhere. I mean, it's, you know, trouble quadrupled in the last two, three years. Um, and they are, some of them more meaningful than, than others, obviously, and some of them a bit more serious about it and not sort of latching onto th- just a sort of marketing thematic. But um, do you think that Sabania should actually, you know, give up some of their position to allow a, f- a few more shares to trade in the marketplace? Because despite having a good year, I mean, your volume's, of trading could be better if there's a bit more, you know, float out there, surely. I think the market, um, the fact that Subanya has a controlling stake in the company is something that the market, I think the market likes it. Uh, a big part of the of the increase in our market cap, I think, has been as a consequence of that. Remember, Subanya invested just more than a billion rand into the capital of our company, no strings attached in the beginning of the year. Take their stake to, to 50. There, there was no expectation of special dividends or anything like that. So, as the money, we want to have a controlling stake in the company, and uh, yeah, we will we will apply that 
towards the growth and expansion of our company. Um, if they were to reduce below that, I think the market might wonder why. You know, why is Sabanya allowing its position to be diluted? Um, if you were to listen to a presentation, any presentation by the Sabanya Stillwater executive uh, on, on where they're going to go, you know, it reminded me of the early days of Rand Gold, you know, when you had these these phases and this is what we're going to do and this is the next thing. There's a there's an energy uh, and I think the market likes that energy and if you were associated with that energy, notwithstanding the fact that we have ESG and sustainable development, it's a core value. There's an excitement about what's going to happen next. So um, to be associated with that, this expectation of growth, innovation, something new, uh, I think it's very valuable. Uh, and, and I think it's finding its way also in the way that our stock is being viewed by the market. Um, you know, you'd be silly not to leverage that. You'd be silly not to, to, to share that with the members prepared to listen. So Banya's doing things and we're right there. We're in that slipstream and wherever they go, we're going to be going with them. So you think the market thinks that you're the takeout target for Sabanya at some point? Is that, what, is that what they're reading into it? I, no, I don't think so. I think they, they, they see us as sort of a, you know, as a, as right there in the slipstream that as Sabanya grows, new opportunities for us to also grow and, and spread our wings and, 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 and uh, find new exciting things to do, we'll be right there. Okay. Yeah, I think we've run out of time. I could talk about this all day. I think it's a fantastic company. Uh, you've done some great things in the last couple of years. Um, keep doing them. We'll speak to you soon. No, thank you. Thanks very much for the opportunity and I enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.